Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I am Sebastian. Well, Sebastian, how have you been? I I am uh, well. I'm a little bit sleepy, but you know, it's just it's it's a it's a it's an idle day for for both of us. But I have uh, been preparing because, as you know, but I'm not sure if the audience knows, I will be spending the next two weeks in the Netherlands. Um, Ooh. I have been learning bits and pieces of Dutch, and if anyone has ever done Duolingo, you know that it teaches you weird sentences that you will never need, such as "Hey, ik ben in apple of in vrouw." Or hello, I am an apple or a woman. So I'm I'm ready, and uh, I'm I am prepared for uh, the Dutch countryside. Absolutely, I can see that uh, <laughs> definitely getting underway. Um, geez, Louise, you're you're off comparing yourself to apples and and being a woman. Um, I have you learned any other useful Dutch phrases such as? Uh, where is the washroom? That's a good standard one. Uh, mm. Help, I'm being kidnapped. That's a good one to know. Um, you know, I'm not on that unit yet. But you, I already have my... Have, do you I, know I, how to identify gluten-free food? Oh, I should do that. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah I know the opposite of that because I know uh, a lot of people, when they're learning a new language, they find that one word that they just love because it, it, it makes them giggle. I don't know why, but a lot of French speakers giggle when... Or not French speakers. English... People learning French love the word pomplemousse, which just means grapefruit, but pomplemousse is fun to say for some reason. Um, and uh, the word in Dutch that I find fun to say for some reason is boterham, uh, which just means sandwich. So uh, if anybody asks me any questions whatsoever, I'm just going to look them in the eye and say boterham, and uh, hopefully they leave me alone. <laughs> That's, that's that's my plan. <laughs> you're you're just going to aggressively sandwich at them and see if uh -huh. uh, if that does the trick. Uh huh. You know, it's funny you said that because I was like, what is what is a good Welsh word? And I think it's popty ping. I think it's probably one of the the best. Uh, do you know what a popty ping is? No. Are you are you do you want to do you want to guess what a popty ping might be? Uh, is it is it like a type of insect? No, no, it is not an insect. Is it is it a type of tree? A popty ping. That would be a great name for a tree. No, I'll give you one last guess, and then I'll let you and the audience know what a popty ping is. Uh, is it a cobblestone? No. Yet again, <laughs> awesome. It's the name of a microwave. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that goes ping. Um, and yeah, uh -huh. that, that's the it's one of my favorite Welsh words, the popty ping. Um, uh -huh. or if you're very fancy in English, the microwave. The um, microwave, yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, there's well, that's exciting. So, we uh, we may not hear from you for a couple of weeks uh, as you are gallivanting around the uh, high nitrate volumes of the Dutch countryside. Uh -huh. <laughs> as as you do um you're known for frolicking in meadows with of tulips so it's it's uh it's a concern you may not come back well you know someone's got to pollinate those tulips <laughs> all right well that is maybe quite enough of that we were <laughs> pleasantly surprised and this is fresh news uh mm -hmm. to hear of the launch of Pride Radio Canada. Now you picked mm -hmm. up on this, which uh, was news to me. Mm -hmm. 
tell our listeners a bit more about this particular story uh, at, at time of recording uh the announcement is less than a day old um and it's basically just uh north bay pride located in north bay ontario a city that is not famous for many things that are positive unfortunately uh i, I think that's just small town news cycles that the bad news gets national better than the good news i'm sure north bay is a lovely place just it, it's easier to find negative stories, unfortunately. But um, they are launching a new uh, radio station called Pride Radio. And it appears to be at least co-funded um, by, was it Global Pride? What was it? There, there's a Pride World Media uh, and Pride World UK is co-funding uh, this venture. And at this point in time, it is brand new. So if you look up their website and you're disappointed by what's there, that it's a new radio station, you're probably will be. Um, but they do have this idea of trying to highlight LGBTQ artists more. So usually when you're talking about uh, queer media, usually what you end up with is uh, this is sort of the stereotype. You end up with like drag queens talking about Lady Gaga and Cher uh, which is not very LGBTQ oriented. Uh, this is actually more focused on uh, kind of what you and I are doing here, which is highlighting artists who identify as LGBTQ. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be singing about relevant issues. They could just be singing a, a lovely song about, I don't know, walking through a park on a spring day. I mean, matter. that is famously gay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I can I can see that. I'm just going to jump in very quickly here for our listeners sake. Every radio station in Canada and I'm I'm not super convinced that they're licensed yet. It may uh, be online. Uh it streams online and through an app. They uh it doesn't look like they're actually uh licensed. You may not be able to pick them up on the FM. Mm -hmm. But all radio stations are required to promote Canadian content and I think mm -hmm. Some people, some stations, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, they're leaning in heavy on your go-to Canadian artists. Uh, everyone is probably familiar with, uh, for example, overplaying Celine Dion or the Bag Naked Ladies. There was a certain period of time where they just dominated uh, being played to death. There's certainly some Canadian artists now that are more favoured uh, and in quite heavy rotation for that same reason. But... Mm -hmm. I think with that being said, generally, you know, playing Canadian artists is fantastic. And then focusing on LGBTQ artists, that's not an easy thing to do because, you know, someone saying this artist is, is LGBTQ identified is one thing, but being certain of that, do you want to be the radio station that outs somebody or the radio station that uh, says, you know, we're playing this song because they're gay and then finding out that, uh, that they're not, um, it is a There's challenge. Weird things like bands that have 20 members in it. So uh, surely of the, I mean, it, depending on what period you're looking at, it's like 10 to 30 members in the band Godspeed You Black Emperor, which later on the same people formed Silver Mount Zion. One of them is bound to be queer. Do you call the whole band queer just because one of them is? Like, uh, what point does it become you know, an LGBTQI band when you have like 30 members and one of them, like every Philharmonic in the world is now a queer band because they all have a gay oboist. Surely. You know, I, this is an excellent uh, question. And as we all know, the Canadian government loves to measure things uh, <laughs> uh -huh. necessarily or unnecessarily. 
first of all, we're talking about what is a song and who is the th- people that make a song. Legally speaking, nothing shorter than 60 seconds is a musical selection. That is a fact that I let you take to the bank. Ooh, but, that's bad for the punk scene. <laughs> very bad for the punk scene. But yeah, yeah no, you you got so you got a song. Who is Canadian? Um, so right now it is where is it produced? Who the artists are? Who are the lyricists? And then mm-hmm. as long as you have a majority, then you should be good to go. So mm-hmm. in your example, you know, it, with a Philharmonic orchestra, it could be that the piece was composed by Canadians. It could be that it was recorded, you know, in Toronto. And uh, it could be that uh, any vocal tracking was by a Canadian as well. And then not a single instrumentalist be Canadian. But as long mm. as the key components, enough of them are by Canadians, um, mm. you know, we're not talking about the unanimity here. Now, a lot of organizations, a lot of campus stations apply the similar criteria to uh, uh, women's uh, music, oh, sorry, m- music and genres dominated by men uh, from folks who are women. So think of uh, some of the really male dominated genres as a way of mm-hmm. kind of breaking down that gendered exposure. Um, mm-hmm. But then also I've seen campus stations apply that same kind of CanCon metric to, to us LGBTQ artists. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got a band of five and three of them are gay, then, you know, you're good to go on the gay one. Or if only one of them is gay, but they did all the singing, all the writing and all the production, then, you know, does that, you know, that would count. Here mm-hmm. at, you know, where we are, we're not necessarily checking every single box um we usually rely on the artists self-identifying that they yeah. are lgbtq um and then we go from that or they're a eurovision song which is the other <laughs> that we have and the other kind of song that we have lined up for you today so maybe that's a good point to go from here you know we are playing first uh, mm-hmm. A track by Sun Sun. It's on the album No Friends in Toronto. The track is When You're Gone featuring M.I. Blue. Um, you know, this is actually not CanCon as it happens. I have managed to land on a non-CanCon track, but they've self-identified as queer in terms of uh, that same criteria. So we're excited to play the Toronto-based Italian-Canadian producer, DJ songwriter, and uh, performer Sanson, and we will be back just after this. Anything for you, I will do anything for you. 
Welcome back to Canqueer, home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. I feel like there are more Canadian stories out there than the, the quite nice good news of this gay radio station up in North Bay. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if we mentioned it was North Bay Pride that are behind it. Uh, mm-hmm. Very exciting. Um, yeah, what uh, what other Canadian stories are we are we sitting on? There is a bill that's been proposed here in Ontario uh, that is, to say that it's a little bit controversial and a little bit divisive, uh, I'm not exaggerating. When I say a little bit, it is a little bit, but it is divisive and it is a a bit controversial. So there has been a a proposal uh, by the NDP uh, led by... Oh, not not the party leader, but the bill itself was penned by Kristen. Oh, what was her name? Kristen Tam. And it is a bill uh, that its intent. Actually, wait, I have the bill open right here. Let's just read the name. The uh, 2S LGBTQI plus Community Safety Zones Act. And basically what this is proposing is that you can temporarily declare a a site to be a 2S LGBTQI plus community safety zone. And for a hundred meters around that, that zone, you cannot have certain, well, you can't have violent protests. And I'm obviously I'm oversimplifying it. I, I can hear you chomping at the bit there, Luke, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I am introducing it. <laughs> now, one of the reasons why this is a little bit controversial, there are a lot of people saying that a lot of the, the contents of this bill are in the law anyway. You can't you your right to peacefully protest, demonstrate or debate is protected under law anyway. Um, so you can stand right outside a place and just very calmly say to people, you know, ma'am or sir, I disagree with what's happening in this building. You can do that anyway. Um, violence is already illegal. Uttering threats is already illegal. Distributing hate material is already illegal. Although you can you can move the, the chairs around on the Titanic as to what constitutes hate speech. But I think most people agree that there are certain kinds of hate speech that 
should be absolutely banned calls to violence and whatnot um but it is i don't know it, it's kind of a, a a peculiar uh law and and one of the things that is really interesting is that these safety zones have a beginning date and an end date so there it's it's kind of like how there are certain places where you can't protest um already but here you can set up like a temporary zone for that so that's the that's the the crux of it i think that the motivation behind this and you know when we start looking at Kristen Wingtime's post on their website. You know, I'll just read what I have here. Protecting 2S LGBTQI plus communities and drag artists uh, with the letter that's being collectively signed here saying, whereas anti-2S LGBTQI hate crimes and harassment are increasing across Ontario, whereas drag artists have been specifically targeted for intimidation by anti-2SLGBTQI extremists, whereas drag performance is a liberating and empowering art form that allows diverse communities to see themselves represented and celebrated, whereas drag artists, small businesses, and 2SLGBTQI plus communities deserve to feel safe, uh, we, the understand petition to pass this bill so what that says to me sebastian is that this was yeah and i'm certain we're going to get into the wording here but the mm. the the motivation here seems to be to create these uh bubbles around what are quite likely drag story times or even just drag performances in general um and mm. things have been getting heated things have been getting dangerous is there were uh dangerous is dangerous there were uh fisticuffs happening there was you know more than a scuffle in new york recently the proud boys came show up to uh protest uh, a drag story hour and several left with bloody noses so i can certainly see that this is an attempt for something to happen to kind of curtail what is a quite flammable situation right now but here's a short clip from Kristen Wangtam speaking at the uh, Queen's Park Legislature. Speaker, I have received a deluge of hate this past few days, specifically because I dare stand up for our communities and your communities, because it's happening right across Ontario. I dare to stand up to intimidation, to hateful speech, to death threats and harassment, all because I want to defend the rights of LGBT people in Ontario. And I have a message for those who are trying to shut us down, to try to push us back into the closet. We're only going to get louder. We're only going to get prouder. We're only going to get more visible. We're only going to get more fabulous. We're only going to th throw a lot, out a lot more glitter. We're only going to get queer. We are. Is this necessarily the best way to go about it? I don't know. What do you think? I have read uh, a couple articles on this. Like there's one in the National Post, which uh, has a certain angle to it. But, you know, nevertheless, it is in the media and it is written. And I did read it. But anyway, point being um, that uh, this is kind of interesting because it, it specifically points out the two LGBTI plus communities. But there's no such equivalent for, for, for example, synagogue that you know there is no such equivalent for hate speech against other groups in Canada as they pop up you know there will be uh, 
let's say anti-feminist protests or counter protests happening at feminist rallies, for example, why can't they get a temporary safety zone? So well, I, the fact I, that they're proposing such a law, but ooh, yes, I was going to just say that I think you cannot necessarily compare a pop-up drag show to a synagogue. My reason being here is that no, 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 I know, I know, but no, no, you know, but, there are... but the reason <laughs> is the synagogues already have existing protection. You know, yep. do they need to be, you know, more fleshed out, possibly? But mm -hmm. when you have an event popping up somewhere randomly for you know a grand total of three or four hours, mm -hmm. compared to a physical building that's going to be there every week, um, you know, but. Your point about why this maybe cannot be applied to other pop-up things that might garner some uh, violent backlash, um, I think that's an excellent question. It does set a weird precedent because now you have a protective law that only applies to one group, and that is starting to borderline on a kind of aristocracy kind of thing where you have a group that has special protective laws. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that that's what it is, but we do need to be careful that any kind of legal protections that we put in there could potentially apply to any group that it qualifies to. Now, if they rephrase this to say, um, like, for example, let's say you do have the synagogue that wants to have a special event, but their own facilities aren't big enough, so they rent out a community center. That kind of thing, I'm sure, happens all the time. Yeah. And then they rent out the local community center, and then there's counter-protests outside. Why can't they declare themselves a temporary zone? Like, why not, you know? So if you're going to create this law, and not only that, but why do you need that at all? Because hate speech is already illegal. Violent protests are already illegal. A lot of this stuff is already either protected, illegal, or heavily discouraged. Um, and another thing is, I'm not sure... What would this prevent that just informing the police, by the way, we're going to have an event. Can you have one or two officers there and just inform the rest of the force in case they need to deploy more people? Uh, which I, is, I think that this goes a little further. Also, assuming that, and this is, I mean, come on now, Sebastian. We've both worked <laughs> with, with the police. We both know that it is much better to enter a very... A fiery situation like that and have clear instruction as opposed yeah. to trying to define the, the line, you know, is yelling, you know, trans women and not women, is that uh, a hate speech? Is that, you know, how, where, where was the jurisprudence? You know, what judges mm. made a decision on where that line is? You know, the police officers are not necessarily going in there with the full knowledge of the entire you know, uh, hate crime legal case decisions. So having a very clear, there should be no one, you know, within a hundred foot doing anything, particularly targeting LGBTQ or gender expression, you know, is it a very, very, very blunt instrument here? Absolutely. I think this is certainly lacking the finesse that it could have, but I think what it would do is give the police uh, a very clear instruction to protect these events as they happen, um, as opposed to seeing if they happen and then hoping that the discretion of the cops that show up, if and when they show up, um, is appropriate. You know, I'm mm -hmm. thinking here about the violence that broke out at the Hamilton Pride. Pride event in Hamilton. Exactly. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Were nowhere yeah. to be seen. 
as you're talking well no that's that's the irony the the police were right there they were right there the whole time but what they were their instructions were have a couple uh uh patrol officers like foot cops walking around the park um and if they see anything call in more people and as it happens the process of making that happen is longer than how long it takes for two groups to erupt into violence yeah yeah um even if the police were completely organized and did everything snip snap it still would have taken them five minutes longer than how quick it is for two groups to erupt into violence. So there is, there is an issue with that in general. I like the idea of don't deploy a thousand riot police just to get, you know, a drag queen reading, you know, that, that book that I can't remember the, the mouse who has a, gay wants a glass of milk. Oh, okay. uh, any of them really good night moon. Like, you know, uh, you don't, that that's overkill uh but saying oh just send one cop with a radio and if they see something radio it in like that's also not enough either just because the response time is just not there so i don't know we do need to split the difference somehow uh i don't know i don't know i i i'm not gonna lie i, I don't know the answer i think some of the the events that we've seen so far where they have a few people out front that are visible with very visible patrol cars nearby that just have people in them waiting for just in case uh, that sort of um, visibility, you know, the, you don't need to deploy a hundred soldiers, but make sure the soldiers who are there have their swords clearly on their, their sheath, like that kind of, Oh, you know, there's, this is being watched. That kind of, of presence I think can be helpful. You don't need to get everybody out there you know, with the shields and the batons and the, the tear gas. Like you, you don't have to get that right from the get-go just to read Goodnight Moon to some kids. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think that there is a lot for the clarity here, mm. you know, of what's being offered. You know, it makes me think about the fact that there was a major report out of the London Metropolitan Police you know, what this is, you know, a report of the scale where they like, you know, that report that came out 10 years ago and had a huge, you know, it's a big deal report. Mm -hmm. And it found that there was the same level of, you know, misogyny, racism, homophobia, and low level corruption in the Met as there had been in the 70s. Like they, it was scathing, but it mm -hmm. pointed to systemic homophobic perspectives within the London Metropolitan Police, which is the premier police service in the UK. And then they found a report on the London uh, Fire Department as well, also being systemically homophobic, separate investigation, separate report. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to compare the Toronto Police Service, the Ontario Police Service, or others operating in the province. But we have read the judge's report following the Bruce MacArthur investigation and yes. how scathing it was of the Toronto police service. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I understand that this is very heavy handed and certainly would have a major impact on the ability to self-express, but do we need to use such a blunt tool if we can't rely on proactive, effective policing where they would know where those mm -hmm. lines are in terms of jurisprudence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, um, I don't know, some of the, the, the issues of how this is phrased kind of bother me as well. So um, 
and I know we've talked about this before, just the the way that hate propaganda is defined. It depends on which level of government you're looking at, because the province and the feds have slightly different wording, but some of it is just weird. So you're allowed to disagree with people in Canada. You can disagree all day long. Um, when it crosses over to hate, that is there are different bodies disagree with that. And I, I, you know, sometimes there are people who need to be held accountable. Like, for example, let's say there was a protest outside a drag queen story hour and it was other drag queens because there was harm being done inside that building that other drag queens disapproved of. I have no idea what that situation could be, but if it should come to pass, I think it would be foolish to just automatically automatically declare that counter protest to be transphobic or homophobic when it's a bunch of drag queens saying that drag queen in that building is no good. So where this comes in, yeah, basically what you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. We The way that we train the police and we train how this kind of thing would be deployed, it's very nuanced and you got to be careful that you're not accidentally crossing over into some 1960s style, you know, uh, dystopian hellscape kind of a version of what should be a good law. We don't need Brazil, you know, the the movie, not not the country, you know. You know, this is a very difficult position, and I and I feel for the NDP here. Yeah, there is, you know, earlier when we were going to set up this conversation, I I said to you before we started the show. Yeah, what is the problem here that's trying to be solved? And it was mm. afterwards that I realized that uh, it relates to um, the you know the the escalating scuffles to quote last week uh, mm -hmm. happening at these uh, events mm -hmm. and so yeah there is there is a need to address this somehow you mm -hmm. know is that how through this legislation i mean i get it i get that when you are a legislator legislation is how you solve, <laughs> solve <the laughs> problems in front of you you know uh -huh. if you're a plumber you're gonna look at the plumbing you know it, it just yeah, yeah, i get yeah. it i get it it's yeah it when is, you're a hammer everything's a nail yeah exactly <laughs> but with that being said i think what this legislation really does is raise the seriousness of this issue i mm. i also said to you before the show started i said i don't think this would pass and uh you yes. you asked me thinking if it was maybe the wording or the civil rights. I frankly just don't think that uh, the 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 way that the voting block is made up in the uh, legislature that this particular bill would would pass. It's very rare for opposition party bills to pass anyway. So yeah. It's just a symptom of parliamentary democracies where the party in power is the one that typically passes nearly all of their bills and the parties out of power really struggle to get anything passed. Um, so, yeah, I just don't I don't know if this necessarily is the hill enough people will be willing to die on um, to, to pass it into law. Mm -hmm. Just as a little uh, aside before we go to our next song, there is a second part of this proposal for um, a safety advisory committee in Ontario. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this the the basic idea is to to keep a, an ongoing look at issues affecting the LGBTQI plus populations in Ontario, looking at things like, you know, how is mental health care working for the community? How is health care working for the community? Homelessness. 
uh, retirement, longevity, a, a lot of issues that are sort of uh, known for affecting the community, the, the interaction between the community and uh, crime, as well as crime prevention, as well as the justice system. Uh, we both looked at this and we both said we, we can tell the nice, the good intentions. I'd like to see this fleshed out a bit more, though. You know, I we were talking earlier about everything to a hammer is a nail. And mm -hmm. I feel like this is one of those everything to a bureaucrat <laughs> is bureaucracy. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> it's like, how do we the, the question I feel like that is trying to be answered here is how do we improve our policy, our legislation, our programming, et cetera, et cetera. Um, across the provincial priorities and provincial authority, um, mm -hmm. you know, which is you study it, you write mm -hmm. a report, you have recommendations, you know, uh, the report is available in English and French. And, you know, you know what I mean? It's like to a bureaucrat, yeah, yeah, yeah. every solution is bureaucratic. And I honestly, I think that's what this is. And okay. I'm not, I'm not against it because I think this would do for the province what the LGBTQ Secretariat has been doing for the feds, which mm. is having uh, somebody where this isn't on the side of their desk. Like, this is actually the raison d'etre of their office. Mm. This is why they exist. This is their, their focal point. And that they can see all the moving pieces. You know, very often mm. things uh, such as the LGBTQ files come in and impact lots of people in little ways. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I like the idea of there being somebody um, whose focus is on this, but at the same time, how many other communities and initiatives would love a uh, purpose-built bureaucrat to, yeah. uh, to focus on their, uh, their concerns. So long as it's robust and data-driven, I will support any such advisory committee. Uh, but it would be a government advisory committee. And I, I, before we started the show, I actually said to Luke, I don't think this is a good idea. And then you read it and you said, this looks like a normal advisory committee. So if it fails, it'll fail in the way that any other bureaucratic body is likely. Yeah, I was getting I was, I was getting almost the sense that you thought that this was a, uh, you know, almost like a conspiracy theory. I'm like, no, 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 this, this, no, 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 parliament, no, no. Parliaments, they... <laughs> <laughs> of copy paste like let's be real Joe. yeah like, a lot of yeah. bills you know especially when it, you get to the legalese where it's like we're strangling a committee everyone knows mm -hmm. all the committees are going to have the same balance of parties i suspect mm -hmm. there's a a healthy amount of copy paste happening <laughs> when they when they make some of these early drafts for oh, them, but my, for my skepticism was just this looks poorly organized and defined in a very shoddy way. And you're, you're and I'm like, was, no, that's just government. <laughs> they all are. So. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no, that checks out to me. All right. Well, we will keep an eye on this. It was introduced for first reading on April 4th. That was a few days before time of recording. Like I said, is this the best solution, a legislative response to a potential legislative challenge? Or are we hammers and looking at everything being a nail? Now, to our next song. This is from another. Uh, this is actually from the first Canadian queer identified artist, realizing the last one did not identify as Canadian. This is mm -hmm. Neela, uh, who is a very talented singer-songer 
singer-songwriter out of Vancouver and spending time also in Toronto. Uh, she writes about her honesty, marrying a soulful voice with indie R&B musicality. We've been keeping a bit of a hip-hop indie uh, R&B vibe uh, this week. This is Neela's You'll Never Know, and we will be back just after this. We'll wait. Came into my home, you came into my heart. I shared all my truths, you showed all your scars. The way that you loved, the way that we laughed, you held me so tight in the cold winter a storm would shatter me
Hello and welcome back to Kangria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian. Now, we're going to start off by noting that Russia has recently arrested the two bloggers, uh, Hayoung Xi and Gila Gugishvili, uh, from both China and Georgia. They are, I believe, a same-sex couple in Russia. They had a very popular TikTok account and a Telegram account. Um, And I think he was stopped in a regular ID check and then later arrested under the gay propaganda law. So Mm -hmm. they obviously uh, saw their phone, their TikTok accounts, their Telegram accounts, and they were arrested shortly after. I think this news is interesting for a couple of reasons i think it is encouraging that even under such a oppressive law in russia which is known actively to be you know squirreling people out of sight Mm -hmm. um that there are still those though who are either brave or naive enough to be discussing queer identity and queerness uh, in the country, I mean, it's it's one of those things where being gay has been driven so underground that you know anyone with a head above the, the parapet is uh, clearly evidently in danger here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I was expecting any better or worse from the Russian government, but it is certainly um, an unfortunate reminder of the situation within the country there. Yeah. I don't know why, but the first thing that popped to my mind was how interesting it is that uh, because there are communities that used to be in China, but when they moved the border between Russia and China back in the, I think it was 60s, that there's a whole bunch of places that were cut in half. So now you have ethnic Chinese Russian citizens and you have ethnic Russian Chinese citizens. Uh, but anyway, that the, the 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 Caucasian end of the country and the Chinese end of the country and then they they got together. I don't know. There, there's something kind of romantic about that. How did they find each other across the vastness that is, you know, the former Soviet Union? Um, but anyway, it it is. I don't know. It, it's it's kind of a sign that things are seriously bad in some places, you know, uh, it feels weird sometimes. And I, this is something that you and I are, are both very aware of. We tend to stay away from news stories that are about like weird little potentially anti whatever microaggressions where we know that there are serious things happening in, you know, Chechnya and Uganda and, and, and whatnot. And this is definitely a reminder that there are pretty serious things happening out there. Yeah, we're gonna well, we'll keep, we'll keep an eye on it and see what uh, what happens. Apparently, the authorities haven't uh, immediately removed their phones, uh, even though they weren't allowed access to a lawyer and were encouraged to sign documentation. Um, they were able to get the word out to their followers that they were detained, um, and apparently, uh, with a barrage of media inquiries um, about the arrest, uh, a lawyer was then made available. Um, I believe they're out now, obviously waiting for the decision. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 grim. It's certainly mm-hmm. certainly grim. Um, there, sticking to social media for just a minute, 
there is uh, there is one individual, Chris Tyson. Now, people might not know who Chris Tyson is, but you will definitely know who Mr. Beast is. Oh yes. Uh-huh. So even even you know who Mr. Beast is. Uh, uh-huh. You know the biggest YouTuber by a healthy mile on YouTube. You know certainly has a phenomenal outsized impact. But Chris Tyson is one of the two, along with, uh, for example, Carl is uh, another regular in the, in the on their videos. Um, and Chris was recently tagged in a tweet asking about the sort of extreme difference in their appearance over the last, you know, two or three months. Um, and Chris responded, HRT, and it's only been two months. And then goes on to say, informed consent HRT saved mine and many others' lives. The hurdles gender non-conforming people have to jump through to get life-saving, gender-affirming healthcare in a first-world country is wild to me. Just let people make informed decisions about their own bodies. Now, normally we wouldn't um, talk about an individual transition, it's a celebrity or otherwise, but I wanted to bring this up because for an entire generation, Mr. Beast is the biggest star on the planet. And this is someone who is to the immediate right of Mr. Beast. So mm. his the, the audience of people who know who Chris is, is absolutely massive. Um, so yeah, this is certainly something that I think is noteworthy. And it'll be interesting to see if this is the end of that conversation for Chris and now we'll continue to live their lives normally, or if this is potentially the start of moves to, to get um, either more access or, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what impact Chris has on trans healthcare, um, mm-hmm. given the massive audience that uh, Chris has. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's the kind of thing that we can only see how the story ends later on when the story ends. Well, the last one that one of the last stories that we had was around sleep. Now, I'm I don't know. I I feel like I sleep relatively mm-hmm. well, but uh, what's the catchy headline that people got you talking about? What what's gay about sleeping? Well, uh, it was uh, actually there's a lab based out of the University of California in San Francisco, and uh, I actually have a couple of papers from the from this lab. Uh, that are headed by Jason Nagata. And the, the catchy headline is, uh, gay youths are more than twice as likely to have sleep troubles. And it says gay because when he studied the community, he actually found a pattern with LGB individuals that was a little bit different from uh, trans and queer. Although it looks like in the study, uh, that group was not statistically significant, like there weren't enough people to be included, which is weird because um, I don't know if, if that data was uh, excluded to be processed later, which studies sometimes do. But uh, one of the studies he did involves um, 10,000 people and another one involves 8,400-ish, 500-ish people. Uh, now, normally when you do a pen and paper survey, or in this case, it was probably like an iPad press the button survey, but, you know, still whatever, pen and paper. 
Um, you know, there are flaws that can come out of a study like that. But when you get around 10,000 people, a lot of those flaws just come out in the wash. This is These are good numbers. Um, but what he found was uh, that gay, lesbian, and bisexual youth, uh, he looked at ages 12 to 16. That was his target audience. and Not target audience, target demographic. Uh, no, sorry, 10 to 14 years old. Um, found that on average they had greater troubles falling asleep and staying asleep than the rest of the counterpart in the same study. And it kind of came down to a, a very short list of things. So one of them was uh, mental health, especially uh, depressive issues. Another one was family conflict. And that kind of split into two, which was either over-parenting or under-parenting. So the under-parenting, he actually did this in another study where he found that on average, LGB youth spend four hours more interacting with social media than their heterosexual counterparts on the on an average day. So four hours a day more on average, looking at YouTube and TikTok and Twitter and whatnot. Um, and if you think that's not going to interrupt your sleep, then that's, I mean, oof, that's that's a lot of time. I, I also think that this was a... This is a good study in mm -hmm. that it states the obvious a little bit. Yeah. But sometimes you need to state the obvious to be like, wow, wow, that was obvious. Now let's respond to it. And what I mean <laughs> about that is this line here, you know, most kids don't get enough to sleep to begin with. Okay, I get it. I get 100%. Yep. But did you know that kids who are being bullied for being gay or trans or uh, who are being isolated or targeted, you know, bullied kids find it even more difficult to go to sleep i would mm -hmm. suspect that being the book uh, the victim of bullying would give you a bit of a restless night to begin mm -hmm. with you know is it for me it seems to be stating the obvious that someone who's being picked on bullied isolated you know maybe abused would maybe not be able to fall asleep quite as easily as <laughs> somebody who mm -hmm. isn't I mean, yeah, obviously, but uh, good science doesn't take things as being obvious. Uh, there, psychology and social psychology especially have a long and rich history of trying to prove the obvious and finding the opposite to be true uh, or trying to disprove the, op uh, the obvious and finding the opposite to be true. The number of things were, where things are either exactly how you think they are or everyone has always been wrong in all of history. And when you really look at it, you realize that human nature is completely different than what we assumed. And that's those two things. So because that you have to establish the obvious half the time. I mean, I remember I went to a two hour talk that proved that babies learn faster when they pay attention. And at the end, the presenter said, like, she apologized. I'm like, I know it's obvious, but here's she 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 said, like, here's the research paradigm we really wanted to study. And it was complicated and interesting, but nobody had ever actually proven before that babies learn faster when you pay attention and you can't do part B until you do part A. So she had mm -hmm. to prove part A. And that's a lot of this stuff is exactly what that is that. Yeah, it kind of sounds obvious, but, you know, you got to set your your baseline. How bad is it? You know, how many people are being affected and, and what is affected? them you, you need to you need to get that baseline down before you can move on and and get the the deeper stuff but it's also just kind of interesting that i don't know there's this lab that's just studying the impacts of of sleep on youth and the social factors to that not just the health factors you know so i don't know this is just kind of nerdy and interesting as far as i'm concerned well it, um, 
It reminds me of a story that also came out of the States. Uh, the White House press secretary recently, following a number of bills that have really targeted youth in uh, in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, at the podium at the White House, emphasized the 988, the American in the United States, 988 number, which is the American national uh, crisis hotline um and then number three in, is specifically for lgbtqi kids so i think it comes to something when you're spending half of your you know a bunch of time at your press release stressing the number to call for a crisis line you know if your focus is on getting the name a number of a crisis line out i think it's reasonable to assume that folks think that a lot of our youth are in crisis Mm. Yeah, there are obviously uh, Canadian phone lines that you can call as well. I think that was uh, that was about it for uh, for me in terms of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the we we at that time of recording still don't know if the Ugandan president has signed the mm-hmm. anti homosexuality bill. However, he did recently call on African leaders to push back on homosexuality. So um, I suspect... But the opposite has also been happening because there was a protest in Pretoria, which is the largest uh, city in in South Africa to the north. Uh, And a lot of refugees from other African nations that end up in South Africa end up landing in Pretoria. But there there was a protest outside the Ugandan embassy in South Africa. So there are actions being done by other uh well not directly neighboring but other countries in the region are looking at them and basically saying maybe let's not well we are just about done for today's show but uh i really wanted to play blood and glitter which is i think uh sweden's entry for may not be sweden's entry for uh eurovision Mm -hmm. but it's a little bit heavy it is an excellent uh hilarious song Mm -hmm. um for those who are into a little bit of heavy metal but maybe Mm -hmm. not the right one for today that being said i'm gonna go with remo for uh which is uh the swiss entry and this is waragun and I just think that this being about not participating in a war for a country that is notoriously neutral, um, it's very, very on brand <laughs> for, <laughs> for Switzerland. Uh, yes, so this is Remo Ferrer with Watergun. I have been Luke Smith. And I have been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. We were boys who play pretend Army tanks and army men Hide and seek Grow to be the kings we train Where do we go? We're standing on the front line Where do we go? We go I don't wanna be a soldier, soldier I don't wanna have to play with I don't wanna have to play with real blood Cause we ain't playing now
lessons, breaking rules. Nothing hurts when you're bulletproof. I remember, yes, I do. I do. Where do we go? We standing on a front line. Where do we go? We go. I don't wanna be a soldier, soldier. I don't wanna have to play with real blood. We ain't playing now. Can't turn around. No other guns. No, no. I don't wanna be a soldier, soldier. I don't wanna have to play with real blood. 'Cause we ain't playing now. Can't turn around. No other guns. Just body bags that we've become. Not playing with water guns.